You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Greetings and welcome to Domecast, the news and observer political podcast. I'm Don Vaughn here with Lucille Sherman, Will Doran, Danielle Battaglia, and Colin Campbell. So today we're going to talk, of course, about the recent protests downtown. Um, in Raleigh and elsewhere, and a little bit of Durham versus Raleigh and how their government and police response was different and why the Republican National Convention and changes to that. And then also if there's going to be any sort of state response, possible legislation after everything that's been going on. So first up, um, so actually the RNC is like might be state legislation connected, Colin. What's what's the deal? Yeah, with that? that's you know, I, I guess we can expect that every major partisan controversy will turn into legislation at some point. Uh, so of course now we're at the stage where people are trying to figure out obviously the President Trump wants to pull out of Charlotte because um, Roy Cooper and the um, Department of Health and Human Services are not willing to guarantee that come late August you'll be allowed to have a capacity crowd, not wearing masks, not sitting six feet apart in the big arena in Charlotte. 19,000. 19,000 people from all over the country. Um, And, you know, he hasn't necessarily said no per se. It's just a, I cannot guarantee you this because I don't know what the restrictions are going to be related to coronavirus, you know, several months down the road. Um, So now it's looking like we're going to have potentially a split convention where some of the business stuff occurs in Charlotte uh, as expected, but then the, the big spectacles, the arena event, uh, would be in a different city. I'm not entirely sure how that works in terms of the delegates going between cities, uh, particularly if it's a city that's a little bit farther flung. Um, having co- I covered uh, both conventions back in 2016 in Philadelphia and Cleveland, um, and there's a lot of time spent on buses between hotel ballrooms in the suburbs where your state's delegation is staying. Um, I think we were a solid hour away from the actual arena with the Republicans from North Carolina uh, that year. Um, and then the the evening festivities where you sit in an arena and there's a bunch of speeches and it culminates with the big nomination acceptance speech by the party's candidate on usually Thursday night, the very last night of the convention. Is, is there anywhere like they're considering that's within driving distance from Charlotte? Because if Trump wants his big speech, and I mean, that could, as far as like short notice, like set up in an arena somewhere. But if that's like Texas or Florida or all Yeah, I mean, the only thing I could think, and I hadn't seen any talk that they're considering this, but certainly worth noting, South Carolina does have a Republican governor who may be more willing than Roy Cooper to grant concessions on that front. Um, and while there might not be facilities in Rock Hill, maybe if you went a little further out to Greenville or Columbia area, uh, you might have uh, the ability to host some of the things but again you'd, you'd need a big arena um Carowinds. yeah and i think <laughs> there may be a, a decent sized arena in columbia or greenville south carolina but um as big as the charlotte one that's host you know nba games i don't know well and you've also seen uh georgia governor brian kemp kind of going hard after trump to get the convention you know atlanta's only a few hours from charlotte mm-hmm. um i've also heard that nashville wants to be in the running for this in tennessee I don't know exactly. I, I would imagine that's not an easy drive. That's probably a that's seven probably or eight a plane hour drive. drive. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you can get a direct flight or not. Probably yeah. you can. From you Charlotte could have like a, a space a day in between where you have all the stuff in Charlotte and then have this big, you know, rally, and that can just be one day in and out. I think a lot of us have covered you know Trump rallies before where you can get like thousands of people 
in and out of the arena within, you know, if it's just for a speech or a couple of speeches within 24 yeah, hours. Yeah, and so there's the question of whether you would just do the Thursday night festivities that's the, the most watched part of the convention in a different place and have the other, I think it's usually three nights where you have, you know, the vice presidential candidate will talk, all of these other politicians will get up and give 15 minute speeches. Mm -hmm. um, you'll have the, the official voting process where they select the nominee, which is, you know, of course, ceremonial for the Republicans at this point. But. So RNC could end up looking more like what the um, DNC is going to be, where they already said, you know, they'll change some stuff, but of course they're going to have to sort out. Like, is Biden just going to broadcast from his basement? Or, you yeah, know, and then there's all the contractual stuff with Charlotte. I mean, the. You know, the hotels there are already hurting, as are hotels all over the country and the world. Right. Um, so they're probably going to fight back if they've got a contract where, you know, they thought they're going to be paid for X number of hotel rooms. Um, and how much of that the RNC is willing to foot the bill to, you know, break the contract, we'll, we'll have to see. You still um, have to pay. Yeah. And then also, like, those employers have to explain to their employees that... By the way, like thousands of people from all across the country are coming here and they're not going to be wearing masks. Yeah. So enjoy your minimum wage job and whatever the fallout is. Uh, yeah, that's, so that's another factor. That's definitely you know? a challenge. But jumping back to sort of where this is going legislative wise okay. at our state, obviously it's already an issue in the race for governor. Dan Forrest has come out and criticized Cooper's response to this. But as of late Thursday, there is uh, draft legislation circulating sponsored by House Speaker Tim Moore and uh, Republican Representative John Torbett, who is from a town not so far outside of Charlotte. Um, and that would essentially guarantee that specific to the RNC, a lot of these regulations would imply, including that you would be able to have a capacity crowd at the arena, which is sort of the, the key point I think that uh, Trump wants to see. Um, of course, that's probably going to be more symbolic a bill. I think you may see it come out next week. You may see it both pass both the House and Senate, probably along party lines. Um, I would be very surprised if the governor did not veto that um, because that sort of, you know, takes away his authority and probably creates a lot of, you know, equal protection issues if another group, you know, a sporting event, a big concert wants to uh, come in and, and do essentially the same thing as the RNC in terms of crowd. Um, and then, of course, if you have a party line vote at the legislature, they don't have a supermajority on the Republican side, so they're probably going to have a hard time overriding a Cooper veto and actually making this happen. Of course, this whole process could take a couple weeks to get to that point, and by then, who knows where we'll be in terms of uh, the RNC's actual planning process. But isn't the point of that also for Republicans to be able to say, you know, this is what we did to try? To yeah, I mean, they want to make a statement that, look, we are trying really hard to host this and get the economic boost for the Charlotte area that this would bring. Um, and then they can lay all the blame at the foot of, feet of Cooper because if he vetoes the bill and continues to say, you know, we cannot make these guarantees as to what the restrictions will be in August, uh, then they can sort of try to make this more of a campaign issue going into uh, towards November. I really think, yeah, I mean, I think the governor's race is going to turn into like the... Um, like what was our last week we talked about, you know, COVID kumbaya over, but like handling and how, how this ends and really what happens with coronavirus. If there is this later spike, you know, this fall or late summer, or if it's just kind of stays where it is, you know, as Manny Cohen has said multiple times, North Carolina didn't get a spike. It's just kind of this sort of general leveling. And if that just stays and what do you think the answer is? And, you know, when people like if their unemployment checks still aren't coming, if it gets worse, if businesses just shut down and who are you going to blame for it? Right. Yeah. And so you already see, you know, the other bills of the legislature, um, as we speak, we don't know the, how the governor's handling the bill to reopen bars with outside seating. Next week, the legislature will see the bill to reopen gyms at limited capacity, probably go through the Senate and possibly also the House. Uh, and the governor has already 
uh, his staff has criticized that as irresponsible, and he's sort of come out against it as uh, something that would be not great for public health. Although he did, uh, I guess, when you were listening yesterday, right, right, Gary Rarson, the AP, and then a couple other reporters. He had asked about Cooper and the bars bill, which he's just dragging his feet on. He has till Sunday to make a decision. And he said, well, there could be this phase 2.5. I'm like, well, it's, you know, it's already the end of the first week in June and the end of June is phase three. So how long is 2.5 or is phase three going to be 2.5? And suddenly bars can open and this and that. And uh, Cooper said he didn't like certain things within the bill with the language, but there are other aspects he did. So I could see him doing maybe or he has or hasn't by the time you guys listen to this. Um, you know, something about the outdoor seating and then um, bars and then gyms. You know, I, I think it's hard to say. We'll see what it looks like once that bill goes through the floor and the final version. One question as a newbie in the state. So if Cooper doesn't sign the bars restaurants bill on Sunday, then is it automatically passed? Yes, it becomes yeah. law. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, it becomes law without a signature. And Cooper has only done that. I mean, doing Colin so- and I was talking about this yesterday. It's a weird thing. Yeah, and Cooper's done this three or four times uh, in this two-year session. So it's something he does kind of rarely. And his tendency has been when he's really ambivalent about something, he doesn't want to have a knockdown, drag out fight with the legislature over an override but he still takes issue with certain points of the bill. He'll usually issue a statement that says, hey, I, I like some aspects of this, but not others, so I'm, I'm not going to give it my full support, but I'm not going to prevent it from becoming law either. Um, how many times do you think he's done that? I checked just for the you know, 2019 session, 2020, it's three or four times. Oh, Nothing like on really controversial bills. They've all been things that you know it's haven't generated a whole lot of headlines. This is a mini budget bill, I think, last fall. Yeah, there was a bill about small business health insurance that he yeah, had oh, a yeah, few yeah. problems with that he didn't yeah. sign, but there was because the, he wanted the community really wanted it. Um, yeah. One more thing I wanted to add to the discussion of RNC is that technically entertainment venues aren't allowed to open until phase three, if I'm remembering mm -hmm. right, and. If we're talking about entertainment venues, the RNC would be in an entertainment venue. It might even be after that. I think well, like the would, number goes up. Yeah. yeah. It would be yeah. technically after phase three, but if we were still for any reason in phase two or three. Mm -hmm. Well, Labor Commissioner Sherry Berry asked, you know, Cooper at Council of State this past week, you know, Carowinds is tentatively wanting to open July 27th, you know, obviously because you know, half of it, you know, it's on the on the state line. Our, um, you know, labor uh, department people do those inspections, and she wanted to know about that. And Cooper's like, I don't have an answer for you yet. So, hmm. yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's go segue to what's been going on across North Carolina and the whole country this past week since um, the death of George Floyd um, at the knee of police. A police officer in Minneapolis um, has been charged with murder over that. And of course, there's, as you all know nationwide protests um, all over, small and large. And, and Durham and Raleigh are, are two, you know, they're obviously about 20, 30 minutes from each other. And uh, how their protests have gone have been pretty different. Uh, so like, Will, you are familiar, I think, with both of them. Um, and Lucille and Danielle have seen, um, you know, the, the initial weekend where there was, um, you know, a lot of tear gas and then some rioting and looting at the end of the night. Um, yeah, Danielle, yeah. Lucille, and I were all out in downtown Raleigh uh, Saturday night, I believe, and you know that was really kind of the the brunt of everything. You know, the really jarring images that you saw of the fires, the broken store windows, the looting. Um, you know, it obviously started with a very nonviolent protest earlier in the night. Um, 
then it kind of escalated as things went on and by you know 1 in the morning i mean there, there was no really active protest or march left you know there was nobody chanting or anything like that it was pretty much just chaos um and we were just you know going around trying to to document it while also you know dodging tear gas and projectiles and everything else um but yeah then you know in in durham it's been the complete opposite uh you saw some marchers the other day uh shut down the durham freeway in the middle of the afternoon but i think that only lasted maybe one or two hours uh they wanted to sit down with uh the durham sheriff clarence burkhead he agreed to it uh i think they're actually meeting as we record this podcast or maybe right after uh on friday afternoon so we don't really know what came of that meeting yet um but yeah it has been a a stark difference uh danielle lucille did i leave out anything from well it's worth adding that this week in raleigh has been pretty low-key i would say so the chaos um kind of ended on Sunday, which I was there covering protests Saturday and Sunday. And then starting Monday, protesters um, wrapped up their protests pretty shortly after curfew every night, which was eight Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and then 10 last night, I believe. Yeah. Um, And each night, I think they've been out a little bit past curfew, but all has gone um, really well, which is a pretty stark contrast from sort of what we experienced this weekend, which was tear gas being deployed at 6.30 or 7.30 on Saturday and Sunday nights. Um, so as the week has progressed, I feel like there are some more parallels between Durham and Raleigh, but definitely what we saw this weekend, um, it's interesting to me that it has de-escalated after sort of all the chaos of this weekend. Which I don't, I keep wondering, is that because the National Guard and the curfew were put in place, or is that because the people who were doing the rioting and looting aren't from here? and Will we see that again this weekend, or you know, was it our local people? Who knows? Yeah, it could Danielle, be time. You're you're going out again this weekend, right, Danielle? Yeah. What are you preparing for? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm walking into. Lucille's gonna be there with me. Um, and right now, I mean, I think we're trying to get at the root of why people are protesting. That was kind of the message I got from a meeting we had as a company yesterday. Is like, as long as we don't expect the riots. Um, we want to get to the heart of like why people are out there, um, what their message is, what made them come out of their houses to come like, basically get their message across and what changes they want to see. So I think that's the heart of what we're doing if we if we stay calm. And that's um, so hard to explain because, I mean, you know, we've all been out here talking to protesters in the daylight after the sun goes down. And I mean, there's just so many differing shades of what people want. Some people have different mm-hmm. priorities, you know, whether it's bail reform or, you know, maybe uh, police reform, you know, which are kind of, you know, two different ends of this spectrum. Uh, You know, some people want just, you know, better, you know, uh, oversight on police. I I talked to to one Raleigh guy, uh, uh, his name is Jamal Lutz, who said he wants just zero police at all. Uh, He was around in 2016 um, when his friend Akiel Dinkins got shot by the Raleigh police. Um, He said he was there and watched it happen, and he still thinks that the police lied about basically how it all went down. The officer in that case uh, was never charged with anything. It was ruled self-defense, but he told me he saw it happen. He didn't believe it, and, you know, so that's why he was marching is because 
you know, he said he thinks police are hunting him and people who look like him. And so it's just, it's this whole spectrum of, you know, people who just want to see police gone entirely to people yeah. who want the police to be there and want the police to still be, you know, protecting communities, but doing a better job and having more accountability of it. And or just not for them to stop killing unarmed black people. Right? Yes. <laughs> just in general, you know. I think, I think like, that goes without I saying. I think some, yeah. like, yeah, because you see the interviews and some of it's not, you know, policy. It's just, it's um, being, you know, the, just the interviews people saying they're, they're just exhausted by this. And then it's just kind of like just that overall. And, and then others have more specific things. And talked about defund the police. That's something that has come up in, um, in Durham a lot. And... Um, you know, just how the difference in their protests that didn't end in, uh, I think they said like maybe there were a couple of storefront windows one night and they didn't have, they haven't had as many protests. And um, those of you who are familiar with Durham know that like Durham is a protest town. Um, just for covering it for several years, a lot of times it would be once a week about just different things, national issues, local issues. And the culture in Durham has changed a lot um, with policing since um, Chief Lopez, those of you that remember that, how many years, over five years ago, I guess. They had tense protests, the problem was about five years ago, and that, I think, didn't that sort of catalyze the case um, different approach that taken there? Yeah, it was police response. There was a teenager that um, had uh, died in the back of a police car. There was just a lot of handling of um, what the Durham police had done and, and, and the culture there. And then once um, Chief Lopez was gone and Chief Davis has been here, uh, it's, it's changed and it's also the city council has changed. And, and um, that's part of it. A lot of it is outspoken Mayor Pro Tem, Jillian Johnson, who um, has, doesn't, they had an argument last year about if they wanna pay for more police officers or this idea of community policing and what does that mean? And there's other ways to solve problems instead of just adding um, cops on the streets and how do you do that? Of course, if you need them, you're still gonna you know pay overtime or whatever. Um, so the, the culture of the of the police and the um, the city council has changed in Durham a lot in the, just the past few years. And because it's already a really activist uh, community anyway, um, you know this isn't their their first rodeo to you know use a cliche where Durham or with Raleigh it was um, we have different kind of protests here, right? And yeah. so. Um, and Durham is, is, they know what they're doing. They've, they've gone through this at the government level, at the police department level, the actual activists and protesters level. And so I think that's why it seemed like even though there's different groups involved, it was much more organized. And, you know, and Durham is smaller, but it's still, you know, a pretty um, good sized city. Um, and it's always changing new people there. And of course that's changing, but um, I think they're, it's really just, I, I think experience is part of it and because of the interaction between the police chief and the city council and city manager over the last years. And, and one thing about Durham is like, they put everything out on, on display, you know, the jail is right next to DPAC and, um, they talk everything, they, they air all their grievances in public with each other all the time and work things through. And I think the Raleigh government culture is different. And maybe that's part of like that the city is and the state is, you know, our governments are combined downtown here and, I don't know, Colin. You've you've covered um, Raleigh City Council and state. Where do you and Marianne Baldwin was on council. When you yeah, covered. she was a council member when I covered. I, I haven't sort of the caveat that I haven't been on that beach since 2014. Um, but it's been you know they they've tried to deal with some of these issues. But I'd say in Raleigh, some of the police issues have they they flare up for like a week or so when there's something like the Akil Dinkins shooting that Will mentioned earlier, um, and then they sort of 
historically have filtered out and there's not been a big you know city council reckoning with the best approach to policing whether there's a need for major reforms um, I think sometimes they sort of fall behind you know the it's a majority white council I think there's only one um, african-american member of the city council and has been for like, like that for years from one district um, and they sort of fall behind the fact that well you know Cassandra deck Brown is an african-american woman so she's leading our police department we'll just let her handle these things as opposed to really has convening a larger citywide conversation, trying to be more hands-on from the uh, city council level than, than maybe some other cities have done. It seems, I mean, Raleigh City Council's issues are, you know, with the citizen advisory boards, that was the big scandal a couple of months ago. Yeah, about, it's very, like, neighborhood development. It's a very development-focused, you know, NIMBY versus YIMBY, yeah, development versus neighborhood, however yeah. you want to categorize it, um, and not so much the larger, you know, societal issues. Um, and, you know, even on a, a racial standpoint, there was a... Um, concern among Southeast Raleigh and some of these longtime African-American activists like Octavia Rainey uh, and others who are upset about that move by the city council to disband those groups because a lot of times that was actually where the neighborhoods were interacting with the police officers. The beat police officers for certain neighborhoods would go to these city-sponsored neighborhood meetings and they would give an update on crime in that specific neighborhood and get to know people and make sure that they had relationships with the community leaders at the neighborhood level. Um, and you know, obviously impossible to speculate whether that has anything to do with the the level of anger we've seen in the streets over the past week, but you know, it certainly uh, may play at least a little role. Speaking of the streets, if we can touch on a little bit um, about the police and press interaction in other cities, which has been pretty bad in some places, and but it seems other than you know one of our photogs getting hit with a rubber bullet, like th- so, Lucille, Daniel, Will, what do you? How is, you know, when you have interacted with the police, how have you, how has that gone? Are they familiar with us? Do they, have you had any interaction at all, you know? I think it's hard because, like, normally I think there's clues that we give to officers that we're press. Um, Our press passes are tiny, which I did not realize until, you know, I'm out with a guy throwing a grenade. It wasn't like a legitimate grenade. It looked like a grenade. It was an explosive. Threw it at the cops and I realized, like, they have no idea I'm press right now. We didn't have the telltale. I don't know if you were using it. I was just using my phone because notebooks just seemed too pointless to run around with that, that night. Um, so I think like in the chaos, it was a little, you didn't want to be on the wrong side of the police. And I mean that physically on the wrong side of the police um, because there wasn't a whole lot to tell us apart from anybody else. I think the rest of the week with the peaceful protests, like I've had no issues with police officers. I have friends who have been harassed by officers this week. Um, and a lot of it, I think, is fear going on. Um, I can't say that for the rest of the country because I've seen some pretty egregious things, but I think locally, some of the stuff that I've seen with friends of mine that are journalists is like, you know, we don't know who you are. You're not, like, one of them was sitting in an unmarked car. It wasn't clear. They were screaming we're press, but they still got harassed. Well, sometimes police um, don't care if you're press. And yeah. they target you. You know, I mean, we saw, was that Tennessee maybe? Where, yeah. Like, they yeah, shot. Uh, the rubber bullet, the camera crew clearly working on right. the live but TV some broadcast. But some of that is culture. So, mm-hmm. I mean, do you all think some of it is whoever their, you know, the police chief is? And, and if they've talked to them and said this is how you should interact with the press or not? Or do you think it's individual officers? What do you guys think? I, I think it's probably a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, it's undeniable that... That just the level of you know police deliberately targeting journalists across the country that you've seen. I mean, all sorts of videos about you know reporters being arrested just for you know being on the scene reporting things. Uh, you know, police officers coming over and you know shoving cameras down to make sure that they're not being recorded. You know, police officers like uh, 
you, Don, and Danielle mentioned, um, you know, you know, just lining up a shot uh, with rubber bullets yeah. to, you know, target TV crews when there's no no one else around. Um, just kind of these sort of unprovoked assaults that you're seeing. Um, but here in Raleigh, um, really haven't seen that. Um, there, as far as I know, there hasn't been any sort of intentional targeting of the press um, uh, by the WRAL police. yesterday, but yeah. that's all I've heard about. Yeah. Um, from my experience, just Saturday and Sunday, which was a little bit different than I think what you guys experienced, Danielle and Will, because you were out at dark, which yeah. is even harder to tell. Um, but in the daytime, um, I know our reporters, for example, I watched Julia Wall, one of our photographers, she was right in the middle of the line of police and riot gear and the line of protesters, which were only a few feet apart, but she was right in the middle of them. Um, she didn't experience anything that I witnessed. And then I know um, at one point, our colleague Ashad was really close to a line of officers sort of walking um, on the street. and he didn't experience anything so in the daytime and up close to them i haven't seen any reporters experiencing sort of any intensity um with police officers but again i will say i'm not really sure that most of the time that they know that we're press Mm -hmm. um and so i think i saw one reporter that had a big press um vest on other than that i don't think for the most part they really are able to identify that we're press or not so I'm not sure that it matters. It's been interesting Mm -hmm. to me as a, like I covered cops for 10 years, nine years probably to be fair. But um, like I always knew if I was in a dangerous situation, you get near the cops, you're probably safe because, you know, they know me, which is different in Raleigh because they don't know me. But like in Greensboro and Rockingham County, they knew me. I would stay near them. I was pretty much safer and I did not feel that I could do that this weekend and seeing the videos it's just a different culture than what I'm used to of like like suddenly we weren't on the same side and I don't want to word it that way but you know we had that relationship that you knew like that's safe that's okay and we also have the relationship that we're constantly interacting because our job as the news when there's a crime is to get the news out that they need people to know to help solve their crimes and so we do have like a working relationship it can be tension that's not the word i was trying to say there can be tension between us at time if we're trying to hold them accountable for stuff but at the end of the day we always like had each other back in dangerous situations and i'm not sure you can say that right now with what we're seeing across the country i've never seen like till this weekend a cop just point a gun at a camera I think there was one last night that their lens is completely shattered, and I don't know how you can aim that well. It doesn't um, help when um, there are people calling us the enemy of the people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's culture, yeah. too. Right. Well, and on the flip side of that, Don, it, you know, talking about the, the police culture and especially the leadership culture, I mean, you've seen, you know, videos out of, you know, places like New York and stuff where it's just been tons of violence. Um, but, you know, here in Raleigh Wednesday, uh, you know, the police chief, Cassandra Deck Brown, came out after curfew uh, to a group of people who were very actively and purposefully breaking the curfew and marching around and just talked with them. And she spent a good probably half an hour talking at first with a big group of about 40 or 50 people and then, you know, kind of made a deal with them where she's like, okay, I'll let you guys march for like 15 more minutes, but then like seriously, you have to go home or else you're going to get arrested. So, um, and then, but then stuck around and talked with a few individual protesters who 
you know, didn't want to keep marching with that group, but wanted to have kind of a face to face with her. And that was a really powerful moment. You know, these, you know, she's a black woman. She has, you know, a young black son. There are these other young black men who are talking to her and they're, you know, they're having disagreements about the best way to call for reform. But she's saying, you know, I agree with you that there needs to, you know, that black people need to feel safe when they just go out on the streets, that, you know, police do need to be protecting everybody, but they obviously just had very distinct uh, differences of opinion on, you know, the best way to call for reforms. I mean, that's a moment of leadership, right? Are leaders going to sit in their offices? Are they going to be, you know, out in the, because it's a risk. I'm sure she was thinking and the officers around her, is something going to happen to her? You know, I don't think sure. she, she wasn't alone. You know, there were eight right, or 10 other right. cops there standing 10 feet away. But uh, it's, it's but, an yeah. example of, um, you know, to use a military analogy of like, you know, you don't wait in the very back. You go out to the front lines with the infantry, both to show your um, support of your own of your own troops, which I think she did. And, that you know, the officers probably appreciated that. And then also... The protesters to be like, you know, we're out here because you want us to pay attention, you know, we want you to pay attention to us, so are you paying attention? And um, So that's one thing that she did that um, you know, maybe we'll see with other elected officials and that sort of thing. So. Yeah. Well, we probably talk about this whole topic for many an hour, and I'm sure lots of people are, are doing that on their own and probably with more intelligent views than uh, us as a group of journalists, but um, try to take a break and come back with Headliner of the Week. Welcome back, and it is now time for Headliner of the Week. Uh, looking back at last week's results, um, the uh, winner with 45% of the vote on Twitter was the Tallywhacker lawsuit, which if you don't remember what that was, that was the strip club suing the governor uh, to reopen, led by apparently a company called Tallywhacker, which you know you can look that up on the internet if you want. Um, that beat out City Plaza Overhaul, Delivery, robot, ro- delivery Robots, huh? <laughs> and COVID Kumbaya Inns. Uh, so... Let's see who we've got this week. I'll start it off. I'm going to go with ice cream um, because that was one of the um, lesser known, but probably the happiest thing uh, that went through the legislature this week. Uh, There's a a number of little mini budgets, as we've been calling them, going through things everybody agrees on that are important funding. They're finding different pots of money in this sort of challenging budget times to fund them. um, And they're just doing one piece at a time and one bill and going to the governor. One of those is funding for some agricultural research at NC A&T and some other programs at uh, NC State University. But there's a separate provision in that one uh, to help out NC A&T, and it would give them the permission to make and sell ice cream in their dairy program, which of course, as a lot of us know in North Carolina, NC State has been doing that for years. You can buy Howland Cow ice cream on State's campus at the State Fair, and I think recently even in grocery stores. Um, and NC A&T, one of the state's you know, major HBCUs, uh, it's major for agricultural research, wants the ability to do the same thing so they can have their own brand of ice cream. No word on what it's going to be called yet, but I can't wait to try <laughs> All right. <laughs> so mine is going to be the still unresolved as of this recording, um, the bars reopening. And uh, the Governor Cooper has until Sunday to sign veto or let become law um, the bars bill that the General Assembly sent him. And there also is a lawsuit with several bars trying to reopen. It really comes down to... Uh, sort of this gap in the executive order where restaurants were allowed to open and they didn't want bars. And then what about this middle ground of wineries, breweries, distilleries? So those were allowed to open, but bars still can't. And, you know, the question is, how can two people go to a bar? How come that can't happen where 
10 people can go to a restaurant and just drink, you know. So that inconsistency needs to be resolved at some point. It looks like we'll have some sort of answer by Sunday with what the governor's going to do or if he's going to kind of switch that up with this phase two and a half way to resolve that issue for these small businesses and big businesses that want to reopen. So my headliner of the week is a little bit more lighthearted. Um, Don asked a question yesterday <laughs> in the Cooper presser that made him smile. And Colin tweeted a picture of Cooper's smile, which was just really lovely. Um, so I'm going to say Governor Cooper's smile is my headliner. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I feel like you just opened yourself up to so many tweets. <laughs> Um, I am surprised that Colin didn't pick this one, so I'm going to take it even though it wasn't my original, but I'm going to go with the Sweet Potato Commission. It is the commission, right? Yeah. Because we didn't know it existed. At least I didn't know it existed, and it used to be the Yam Commission, and Colin called them out on Twitter for having sweet potato as one word, and boy, did he get a lot of answers. Yeah, okay, because it's mentioned in the Farm Bill, which is another thing that passed this week after a long controversy, the sweet potato provision to help market the state's sweet potatoes. Uh, it was not a controversial one, but I was looking through the bill. I'm like, wait a minute. It spelled this one word throughout this bill. <laughs> but yeah, I got I heard a lot of feedback from people who feel strongly one word or the other. And there's a whole history of uh, sweet potato farmers wanting it to be one word and advocating for that um, and getting that to be the uh, official spelling. Um, I still put uh, sick S-I-C in that in my story because I, I do have an opinion about that one way. But <laughs> Two words. As, yeah. words. Yes. As an avid sweet potato eater, um, I feel very opposed to combining them into one word. Just I want to say that. just love how loopy he and I were when he was getting all this backlash anyways. And it was just funny to see like all the people coming out about like it should be one word and it used to be the yam commission. And yeah, down yeah. with yams. That's sweet potato. Yeah, I, I clearly <laughs> opened a can of worms oh, by yam about this. <laughs> well, I believe the yam and the sweet potato are two distinct things. They're not. They are. Oh, of course, Will knows this. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. All right, now, why don't we end with that? <laughs> because <laughs> Will, Will always has, <laughs> always knows the back, the backstory on everything. So, um, thanks for listening. I'm Don Vaughn for Lucille Sherman, Will Doran, Daniel Battaglia, and Colin Campbell. We'll uh, listen to us next time. Bye. You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.